Welcome to the South Fellowship Church podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Um, I've been invited this morning to give the last talk in this uh, series on emotions, and I'm so delighted to be with you. I was thinking as I watched Alex dedicate babies that, uh, you know, I was a pastor for 35 years, and so I dedicated quite a few, and my claim to fame was I never dropped one. (laughs) And I... I know my wife, every time I would hold up one of those children and, and hold that baby up like this, she thought, this is the one, this is the one. <laughs> so the other thing that I th- found interesting about Alex and his staff inviting me to give this particular talk on rest is that, uh, like most pastors, we are uh, recovering and sometimes not so much recovering workaholics. And uh, in fact, um, it, ironically, this week my wife was digging in some stuff down, down in, in, well, the space where we have a lot of stuff. And uh, she found this card, a Father's Day card that was um, made by one of my three daughters. And they made this card for Father's Day in the shape of a briefcase. <laughs> which is quite telling, right? Like, one thing I know my dad does is he works. Um, thankfully, inside the card, she says, you are special because you don't spoil me and the other two, which I thought was sweet. And uh, I like it when you watch movies with me. Spend, thanks for spending time with me. So uh, I am a recovering workaholic. Sometimes I actually do live in recovery. But the point is, I'm with you this morning. I don't have all the answers about this. I have my own journey as, as a brother in Christ, and I've been on the planet quite a while. And so I share with you as, as one of you. So when we talk about this theme, my experience over the years is that most often this conversation revolves around time. Can we get an hour during the day to pull back? Can we get a day during the week? Can we get a couple of weeks during the year? And then the conversation will move to all the reasons why we tend to struggle with getting that space, like scheduling problems and responsibilities and, and money. You know, not, not everyone has uh, the, the finances to have a, a cabin somewhere up in the, in, the, in the woods where they can just go without uh, dipping into some part of their, their bank account. And then for some of us, and sometimes this is an unconscious reason why we struggle to get away, Um, for that hour, that week, that day, that sabbatical or whatever, is that deep inside, we live with a sense that the world is very, very broken and quite frightening. And so we kind of live deep inside with this thought that I, I can't afford to take time off to rest. I need to stay on high alert. And I think over the years, it's that last thought that has led me to believe that our primary struggle with rest is not really with finding an hour a day, a a week, or a couple of weeks in the summer to take time off. Our primary struggle with rest is finding rest inside our hearts. 
And so that's what we'd like to spend uh, the majority of our time this morning talking about. But before we go there and begin to unpack this theme, can we just agree? You know, because we all, I mean, especially in the West, we, we look for perfection in almost everything we do. We believe if we can just keep working and keep trying that we'll find perfection. We will never experience this side of glory, perfect internal rest. Irony that on many tombstones, the phrase is, is imprinted, rest in peace. Peace is, in other words, a synonym for rest. And it can be a little bit of a morbid kind of, a, of an illustration, except for those of us who believe in Christ and believe in the words of the Apostle Paul, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and so there we do find um, real rest and real peace. But this side, this side, we've got to find a way not just to get a day off, because if we get a day off, but we don't have rest in our hearts, then we're anxious during the day off, and when we come back, we're just as anxious as when we left. So let's unpack this for a moment with maybe just a couple of thoughts, one intuitive thought and a couple of thoughts from the scripture about rest in our hearts, this side of glory. And here's the first thought. We are created by God to need rest we get depleted and biologists tell us that even at the cellular level we've got to be refreshed each of us comes into the world unconsciously i would suggest i'm thinking of these babies this morning and obviously um, even the the toddlers are not really conscious that they're looking for a rhythm in their lives of emotional spiritual and obviously physical rest. They can tell us about the physical rest because they get tired, they get whiny, they get, you know, they get fussy, and we know that their, their bodies are crying out for that rest. But we all come in, each of us comes into the world looking for a rhythm of rest. There are no exceptions. And this is the time when we t have this conversation where you know, a husband is gonna be doing this with their wife or a wife's gonna be doing this with their husband or, or with your best friend or whatever because we, we, we know that there are those of us who basically seem to live at least as if we are an exception to this truth. That we're, we're just one of the rare breed. We're a superhero when it comes to rest. We just don't need it. But we've got to pay attention to this truth or we'll end up living, living wasted or living ineffective or living burned out relationally it will start to leak into our relationships and to the way we do our jobs or live our lives and in the most extreme cases if we don't pay attention to this need for rest we literally end up prematurely dead so here's the second truth and this comes straight from the scripture of course that god rested now, there's a lot of mystery there. We're not going to unpack that this morning. I, after all these years of studying theology, I don't even know completely what this means. But the God who you would think needed no rest, he rested after six days of creating the world. However you take that, whether literally or metaphorically, there's a time-space continuum there where he worked, and then he took some time off. Um, he rested and then established a pathway of rest to follow in his footsteps for his people, Israel. And it was called, of course, Sabbath, the Sabbath day. 
And of course, the scriptural passage that uh, we, we all know this, then God blessed the seventh day and called it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creating the world. And if you go to a passage like Exodus 31, it even says that when God rested, he was refreshed. How can the God of the universe uh, need rest? But it says he did, and when he took it, he was uh, refreshed himself. But here's what we need to know about this Sabbath commandment, which many of us, if, if you live in, in the world today and you're awake, you know that th this concept is, is everywhere, especially in religious circles, especially in Jewish circles. This passage, this invitation for Israel to rest was never just about a day. It was never intended to be just about a period of time that Israel would take off. It was intended to be a time that they would pull back to reconnect with the one who is rest. Now that truth got lost pretty quickly in Israel's history. And by the time of Jesus, Second Temple Judaism, for many, that truth that rest was never about a time period, really. It was about creating space to allow our spirits, that place where we really wrestled to find rest. It was about having a period of time where we could pull back so we could reconnect with the one who is rest. That truth got lost and was really lost as I read the ancient literature, especially the scripture in first century Second Temple Judaism. So notice when we go to the words of Jesus what he does with rest. When Jesus talks about rest, he never calls us to a day of rest. He wouldn't be against it, by the way, because to take some time off, we can use it to reconnect with the one who calls us to deep rest in himself. I mean, that's really what, again, Sabbath was for. So there's nothing wrong with taking that day, but if we're not using it for that purpose, then the day is a wash. And so when Jesus talks about rest, he doesn't call us to a day, he calls us to himself to an intimate rest in him, no matter what the circumstance. And we're all bringing circumstances in this morning, aren't we? Uh, I brought my own circumstances in this morning. I, I used to think when I was the age of some of these young folks down here that when I got to be this old man age, that somehow I would have worked it all out and I could walk around in perfect shalom, perfect <laughs> inner peace perfect inner rest. I brought my own stuff in this morning. I came in this morning fighting for a rest of the heart that according to Jesus can only be found in him. And here's the text. It's classic. But I'm hoping it goes to a deeper place inside of us this morning. This is what Jesus of Nazareth, whatever else you think about him, this is one of the reasons why even the other world religions respect him because of this kind of teaching that is so deep and profound and touches our hearts in such deep ways. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
do you, if you're an English student, a student of the language, do you see the overuse in this passage of personal pronouns? Do you see how many times Jesus refers to himself? Come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Especially focus on that little phrase at the beginning, I, I, implying no one else, nothing else, nowhere else, no other pathway will give you the true rest that you're looking for. You, you notice he didn't say you can find it in first century Judaism. He didn't, he, if he was speaking today, he wouldn't say you can find it in a perfect theology of the Christian life in the 21st century. He, he didn't ever apply here in any other place that you could find perfect inner rest and solace and peace when the world finally becomes safe because he would say with sadness that this side of glory, the world will never be safe. If you're waiting for the world to provide a, a few days ahead of safety, you will never find inner peace, he would say. He says you will only find true rest in himself. So we're gonna come back to Matthew 11 in just a moment as we wind down this little piece of devotion or whatever in just a moment. But first, I wanna take just a, just a second to talk about why this is so true on a psychological, emotional level. I mean, it can really, when you read this, you can just go, yeah, but that's, it's very esoteric, right? It's very mystical, like sounds good, but how? And, and why does this touch us so deeply? So you might say it like this. If you look at this book and look at the story of God and us, it is clear, and we'll look at some passages that reflect this even more than Matthew, as much as Matthew 11 in just a moment. But this is, is true at the core of this discussion about internal rest, that we are created to be near him. Because to be near him is not only to feel safe, but in the truest sense of the word, to be safe. In fact, to be near him, to know that he is near us, is to be home. So, I, I battled with this all week, in fact, in the last two weeks as I've prepared for this talk, if you know me at all, and if you've heard me talk here at South before, you know that there's not going to be a talk where I don't talk about Jesus and Kurt Thompson. <laughs> so um, he, he can be a bit of a dense writer, but he illustrates this so well psychologically that I want you to bear with me as, I, as we walk through this quote. Look what he says first. And he says this in his most recent book, by the way, about suffering and how to find hope in suffering. It's absolutely profound. He says, one of the primal origins of our anxiety response the lack of inner peace, is existential terror of being abandoned. The sometimes um, unconscious awareness that we are being intentionally left in direct response to our state of shamefulness. If you know the story of the Garden of Eden, think of that story. 
that when Adam and Eve realized they were not God and shame entered the world, they immediately were frightened. They covered up. They couldn't even get along with themselves. And they began to be suspicious that God was going to abandon them. And then he goes on to say, it is God's longing to be with us. I want you to let that peace settle into your spirit for a moment. It is God's longing to be with us that was no small part of why he made us in the first place. Now look, I've been around long enough to know that many of us came in this morning believing that God hardly tolerates us, let alone longs to be with us. And some of even the best of us believe that basically our relationship with him is utilitarian. In fact, it's really popular in Christian circles, especially today in our broken world, to really talk a lot about God using us. But does he just want to be with us? Does he really long for us? How would it change your way of being in the world if you realized that it wasn't just you that got up in the morning longing for him, but go with me in this metaphor. When he gets up, he is longing for us. I remember when Andrea, our oldest daughter, and actually our other two daughters as well, some days I couldn't wait to get out of bed to run into that room where that, where that crib was, and, and especially our oldest daughter, and, and my other two daughters are here, so this is no, no shame on you girls, but <laughs> I'm just saying, my oldest daughter, she woke up happy every day of her life, and I, my dad's heart longed to be with her. You know, you know, what I do for a living is I, we have a nonprofit for pastors and their families because they can tend to be a lonely lot. And I've been working with this one pastor in Pennsylvania, and he's an Enneagram 5. So he, when we talk, man, he's got a lot to say about a lot of ideas because he's always looking for ideas to bring comfort to his spirit. And Enneagram 5's great folk because they bring many ideas to the world, many thoughts and ideas to the world. But this guy, not so much in touch with his emotions. In fact, he, he went through some real severe trauma in his first marriage and in his uh, first church so that he lives, in my opinion, he lives with that trauma in himself right now. And so at the end of one of our sessions, right before the end of the year, I said, bro, do you know how much God misses you? And honestly, most of the time, he would have six theological reasons why that might not work for him. This particular moment, he was dead silent. And this is what he said. Do, do, you, do you really think that he misses me? That he longs for me? What would it be like this morning if you could walk around in this broken world knowing that your heavenly father longs to be close to you as his precious daughter are his precious son. And then he goes on to say, to lose a presence of God's magnitude would be absolutely unbearable. This is what the serpent subtly and implicitly convinced Eve that God was doing, leaving and taking his love with him. And we have believed it, he suggests, ever since to our peril. And this is how he closes this particular section of his book, we far too often 
underestimate that our ongoing perception of our being terminally abandoned by God is the primary source of our anxiety or our lack of being able to find inner rest. This does not mean that our anxiety is only about abandonment, but that it is rarely, if ever, not about that. In other words, the deepest existential question that we carry, and spiritual question we carry around inside of us, Kurt Thompson suggests, and I couldn't agree more, is yeah, he might exist and he might be out there, but is he here? Right here, with me, in my pain, in my burden, or has he left me once again? So I've come to believe that underneath our desire for answers, for inner peace, for pain relief, for inner peace, and not, there's nothing wrong with any of these, but we trick ourselves into thinking that if we could just get these, we would have inner peace. What we're really looking for is this. We long to know this morning that the God of the universe in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit is with me, that he loves me, and to know that he has us in our pain, in our burden, and that he will never let us go. This is what my daughters longed for, I can tell you, when they were small. I'm remembering when my youngest daughter, Caroline, hit her head uh, during a children's Sunday school hour and I had just gotten done preaching and somebody walked up and said Caroline needs stitches you're going to have to take her to the hospital and of course I mean I could have been leading somebody to Christ in the moment but they would have to find their way to Jesus through somebody else <laughs> I was going to go get that little girl and I, I remember the moment it's been it's been years ago now um, I ran and got her and took her to the emergency room and, and you know it's scary it's a scary place for grown folks you know, first of all, all these people that are all masked up and covered up and talking muffled and the bright lights and so I just held on to that baby girl. She was about two. I just held on to her, took her in and then, and then they clean the wound and they put something on it that probably cleans it but really hurts like crazy and, but her daddy's got her. And then they, they take that big needle and they try to hide it but you can't hide anything from kids, man. You, they, they, they are watching, I can promise you. And, and they take that needle, and, and she doesn't know what that needle is. I don't think she'd ever seen a needle like that in, in her life. And, but her, her daddy's got her. And then they inject, which the Novocaine helps for the stitches, but it hurts for the xylocaine or whatever cane it was. It, 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 it numbs, but it, it hurts. But her, her daddy has her. Her daddy loves her. He's with her. He's not going to let her go. And then they do the stitches, and then we went home, and I don't think she can remember this, but I can remember how she relaxed in my arms, not because the world around her wasn't full of pain and burden coming at her, but because she knew I was with her, 
that I love her and that I was never going to let her go. And whatever kind of pain came to her that day, it had to be vetted by me, her loving father, first. This is perhaps why the psalmist says, though I walk through the valley of the shadows, I will fear no evil because you are with me in the darkness. I don't have to be afraid, not because you're taking me out of the darkness, but because I know your presence is there. Or why some of the last words of Jesus, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I mean, the way I'm wired, I probably would have said, here's 27 things you've got to know before I leave the planet because you're gonna be me. I'm leaving, you're staying, you're gonna represent me, so don't forget number 26. (laughs) But this is what he said. Just remember this. And I don't believe he was speaking metaphor. I think he was speaking absolute truth. I, in a cosmic way that you won't even understand, will be with you always. Never a moment, never a burden, never a pain, never a fear that I won't be with you even to the end of the age. Or why he said this in some of his other last words, as the Father has loved me, don't you ever forget that I love you and I'm inviting you to abide. We sang the song this morning. I'm inviting you to make your home here because in my love, here you are safe. You can run from me and I've still got you but there's a way in which you're going to experience my safety in the darkness if you will make your home in my love. And this is one of my favorites. I'm sorry, that one is one of my favorites. The Lord is near, so often separated from Paul's invitation to take all of our anxieties, those things that steal our inner peace, to him. The caveat is, but the Lord is near. Thus, because he's near, we don't have to be anxious, but we can let our requests be made known to the God who is right here. And then there's a peace that will come. A peace that's not like, a, like, not like smoking a joint, gang. Not that I know anything about that. But, you know, in today's culture especially, some of you are giggling in a way that makes me think you don't believe me. But, I got into it there, Alex. I stepped right in. There's no way out. So, Lord, sanctify that illustration. Here's the deal. It doesn't mean we're not going to feel any pain. It means there's going to be something about the presence of the one who loves us and has promised never to leave us that will be deeper than the pain, that will center us in the midst of the pain and allow us to take the next step toward home. Now, finally, as we kind of land this plane, Quickly, let's just go back to Matthew 11 for a moment. Look at the audience. All you who labor and are heavy laden. And the imagery here, even the tense of the Greek verbs, isn't about just I'm having a momentary piece of wound that's affecting me. It's about living with burden in this kind of a sense. It's it's like walking around, and some of us know what this feels like this morning. Some of us have been carrying burdens since our first memory as a child. Unhealed wounds, feeling like we weren't seen. A divorce of a parent. Something that happened in school. 
Some of us have just been carrying something for the last couple of years, a bad diagnosis, health diagnosis, or a present relational issue that just doesn't seem to heal. Jesus is inviting all of us who feel that long-term pain, and, and if we're in pain, even a two-week piece of pain can feel like it's overwhelming. He's inviting all of us, as you'll see in a moment, to come to him so he can wrap us up and whisper to us, I'll never let you go. And I know, I know because I'm, I'm you, that many of us walk in again and think, but is that really for me? You know, we sit in church and we think, all the rest of these folks, what Jesus is saying is for them, but could it really be for me? Some of you feel like uh, Dorothy, at the end of The Wizard of Oz, you remember this scene? How many remember this scene so I'll know if this is gonna last? Well, if not, you might have heard this, <laughs> that at the end, they find the wizard because the tin man wants to find a heart and the scarecrow wants to find a brain and the lion wants to find some courage. And so out of the black bag, he pulls symbols of all of those things that they're looking for. And then the, the, the scarecrow who loves Dorothy said, says to the wizard, is there anything for Dorothy, what about Dorothy? And Dorothy, remember what she says? I don't think there's anything in that black bag for me. I, I just wish I could know what was in your hearts right now because I, I would come to you right now and say, no, it's true for you. It's true for you. And it's, it's true for you. Maybe this will be the first moment when you might realize that when Jesus said, all you who labor and heavy laden, he was looking at the pain you experience and inviting you not to be left out. He sees you. He feels it with you. Theology of the cross says he took all of those wounds and burdens on himself at the cross. Yours, not just the person sitting next to you, but you. And this is what he says to all of us. He just says, come to me. And I, I, so many times we think of Jesus as like pointing fingers and shouting orders. And I suppose there's a moment when, yeah, when he went into the temple, he said, I'm the king, I'm here, I'm the new temple, you guys have screwed it up. Yeah, in that moment he shouts orders. But in this situation here, there's no command, there's only invitation. And the invitation is to come to him. And because he's already there, it's not like we have to be on a long journey to come to him. He's only inviting us to turn and see the one who has never left us and would never leave us because he loves us with all of his heart. And some might say, yeah, but I remember that word yoke. What kind of a pleasant term is that? This is so typical of Jesus to use a very unpleasant metaphor, a ridiculous metaphor from culture and then sanctify it for the kingdom of God. And so here he's not talking about being like in a piece of metal or frankly the word yoke was used in that day of, for slaves who were yoked to their masters. Here it's just an invitation to be close. He's, he's taking that metaphor and saying, look, I'm not a genie in a lamp. I'm not inviting you just for a one-off experience. I'm inviting you to come to me as your one great love and to begin to tether yourself to me. 
because you realize that nowhere else will you find the rest you're looking for, for your soul. He goes on to say, my yoke is easy. Look, he, he looks and he sees us already yoked to our burdens, right? We're tethered to them. He says, my yoke is easy. The Greek word literally can be translated kind. It's kind. The burden you're tethered to is sucking the life out of you. Come and be tethered to me because my yoke is easy and kind. My burden is light. Learn from me. I'm not inviting you to a one-off experience. I'm inviting you to a long-haul journey all the way home to glory of being close to me. I'm gonna keep inviting you. I'm gonna keep inviting you. As the enemy continues, we sang about it this morning in Luther's famous hymn. He's gonna continue to pester us and scratch and claw at us. He's saying, I will be near in all of the pain inviting you to tether yourself to me and learn to stay home where your peace is and continue to remember that I'm gentle and lowly in heart. To be gentle means to be not harsh. To be lowly means to be humble. The king of kings who could say, bow the knee and worship me, instead says, this is not about me. I'm here to be about you. I'm not here for you to be for me. First, let me be for you. And then out of your love for me, because I'm for you, you will find your heart wanting to be there with and for me. And then, of course, here's the promise. There's no hesitation in these words. He says, if you will come to me, if you will turn toward me and take that burden that is weighing you down, and in the moment, just say, Christ of God, I cannot handle this anymore. It is literally crushing my spirit. I want to give you what the enemy has tried to put on me. I'm believing the promise that you will give me rest. It could be our health. It could be our finances. It could be our children. I've shared this with you in the few times that I've been with you. I'm not a fearful guy for the most part. But if there's one thing I fear, it's losing one of my three daughters. Even though they're grown now, I have to almost every day turn to the one who is gentle and lowly in heart and turn my girls over to him because they're not mine. They're his. And I can love them, but I cannot bear the weight of their life because they're his daughters, not mine. It could be our kids we usher them out that door for first grade. It could be parents who walk home today and realize we just said to the enemy about our kids, it's on. You want them, you cannot have them. 
They are the children of the Christ of God. It's turning and offering what is burdening us. It could be our past, some shame. It could be our future. It could be relationships that have gone south or that we want to happen but haven't. It could be sin and shame. I was thinking this week before I made this drive today to come and preach that for 35 years, every Sunday morning, most Sunday mornings, I made the drive to various buildings, various places of worship, and on the way in, I felt the weight of the people that God had called me to serve, their wounds, their pain. I couldn't bear it. I couldn't bear it. I couldn't even bear standing up in front wondering if I would do well enough to give them some comfort or some direction. Every Sunday morning for 35 years, I had to do it again this morning to say, they're not mine, Lord, they're yours. I'm, I'm, I'm turning over to you. What wasn't mine in the first place, I can't bear it, it's crushing me. Give me peace, give me rest so that I can give what God's people need this morning out of a resting heart. This is what Stephen the martyr felt when he was being stoned for simply speaking the truth about Israel's history and the coming of the Messiah. And all of a sudden, the heavens open. And by the way, I don't think Jesus came down from Mars to be there with Stephen in that moment. You know the story in Acts 7. I think he was already there because he had promised, I'll never leave you, Stephen. All the days of your life, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And the heavens opened, and he looked at Stephen, even as the stones were taking the last breath out of him from those who were accusing him of blasphemy. He met Stephen in the valley of the shadows. Stephen didn't die flailing. He died in pain, but he died with an internal rest that can't be found anywhere. Couldn't be found if they decided to stop the stoning and let him live. It can only be found with the one who says, I am your peace. This is what Julian of Norwich, who survived the first installment of the plague in Europe, they killed 25 million people. This is what she said, if there ever be any lover of God on earth who is continuously kept from falling, I do not know of it, for it was not shown to me. There's going in this world, we will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. But this was shown to me, that in falling and rising, we are always protected in one love. You might say it like this. We find true rest only in intimate, moment-by-moment -moment surrender to him. Nowhere else. You can try to subliminate your burden good luck. You can kind of try to do a psychological deal on your head, not think about your burden. Good luck. Only in him do we find rest. Finally, you might say it like this. If we're honest, we're left with only two real choices this morning. Either surrender to a God who promises that his love for us is stronger than hell itself, or stay in the land of I'm on my own, a land also called fear and despair. 
I'd like to close with a story about a brother that some of you have heard about. His name is Oscar Romero. A few years ago, Raul Julia, his last role, uh, I think he died shortly after the film called Romero, about Oscar Romero's life. Oscar Romero was the Archbishop of El Salvador in the late 70s when there was a huge war going on between those who owned all the land and had all the wealth and all the power and those who had absolutely nothing and were fighting for um, the meal or the medicine they needed just to survive each day. And when Romero was kind of, as his biographers tell it, kind of a timid man. and He wasn't really a fighter. And so when he became the archbishop, he kind of landed uh, with those who were paying his salary. And so he, he was with the rich and he you know, he wanted the poor to be with them in the church, but he started there with the wealthy, and, and he was kind of, the way the movie portrays it, the way his biographers portray it, he was kind of living there for a while, a bit naive to what was going on in the country. And then one day, um, in 77, 78, one of his close, close friends, a priest uh, named Father Grande, um, he was murdered by the ruling elite he served the poor in the barrio as a parish priest and his death impacted Oscar Romero's heart in a way that only Jesus through somebody else could. And so he said, my, my friend, Father Grande, has shown me who the real Jesus is here and I've got to start to pull the church together, start to advocate for the poor, start to live amongst them so that I can help them know that the church is their home too. Jesus is there for them too. If you've been touched by this ministry and you want that to spread to others, you might consider partnering with us financially. You can give online at southfellowship.org give. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day.